Hi there, and welcome to Novelstalgia, where we reread and lovingly roast our favorite childhood books. I'm your host, Ashley Poston, along with my co-host, Nicole Brinkley. This month, uh, we're reading the third book in the Artemis Fowl series by Owen Colfer, The Eternity Code, which wasn't always called The Eternity Code. It was called The Sea Cube at one point. Here's the thing about the title of The Eternity Code. My brain doesn't want it to be that. It wants it to be the infinity code, the infinity cube, (laughs) the the eternity cube. The fact that cube isn't in the title really distresses my brain. But but it's about Artemis's eternity code that's in the... Anyway, we're going to get into it. Cute, muttered Spyro. I flew 3,000 miles for a micro TV. Artemis nodded. A micro TV, but also a verbally controlled computer. A mobile phone, a diagnostic aid. This little box can read any information on absolutely any platform, electrical or organic. It can play videos, laserdiscs, DVDs, go online, retrieve email, hack any computer. It can even scan your chest to see how fast your heart's beating. Its battery is good for two years. And of course, it's completely wireless. Artemis paused to let it sink in. So we talked a little bit about what we remembered in the teaser trailer for this episode, uh, where I remembered very, very little uh, and continued to remember even less as the book went on. It was <laughs> it like I knew how it ended, but for the rest of it, it might as well have been like I was reading it for the first time. I was like, oh, yeah, that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now they're doing this. Tell me secrets. I won't remember them in five years. Basically, uh, that is that is how our friendship works. I tell you these secrets and you're like, what? In like five years time. But for those of you who missed the teaser trailer, the very short version of this book is that Artemis has cobbled together a new piece of technology out of all of his stolen fairy technology. And he is off to sell that to John Spyro, who... Well, he doesn't quite sell it. He threatens to uh, uh, put it on the market ahead of time or to give John Spyro time to get his assets in order. John Spyro don't like that and everything goes downhill and then Artemis needs fairy help. As Artemis always needs fairy help. But, you know, if he just hadn't have messed with the fairy technology and those helmets to begin with, then he wouldn't be in the situation. But then that just wouldn't be arty, though. Shall we dive straight into the book? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so the the book starts with a prologue, as most of the foul books do, but this time it is not from Dr. Argon and his psychiatrist's goons. It is a diary entry from Artemis Fowl himself, who has decided to start keeping a diary. God bless, he's keeping it on disc for some reason. And It's entirely about how he can't do crime anymore because his parents are watching. (laughs) Oh, no. He can't do crime or else he'll get grounded. And he he writes it on this encrypted disc. I'm just imagining it as like a floppy disc for no other reason. (laughs) And it's just really funny. (laughs) Oh, no. My schemes. No more schemes. (laughs) No more schemes. Pops out the floppy disc, sticks it in his Armani suit. (laughs) (laughs) And so... uh, the prologue goes right into chapter one, which is uh, where we find Butler on the 
on on edge in London as he and Artemis wait for a quote unquote perfectly legal business meeting. Yeah. Um, sure. Except they're worried about assassination tips. So how legal can it really be? We meet John Spiro, IT billionaire, and Elon Musk uh, doppelganger. Okay, great. <laughs> So I I really wanted to get into this. So he's an IT billionaire. He's got this shady past and and mob allegations. Um, And I do love the name of his company. I think it's very funny. It's Fission Chips because Fish and Chips. Fish and Chips. Fish Fish and Chips. chips. It's so good. (laughs) But I kept reading this and just being like, oh, you're just Elon Musk. Like, I feel like Elon read this book and thought John Spiro was the goal. (laughs) He was like, I want to be John when I grow up. And the rest of us are like, we want to be Opal. <laughs> so it, so in terms of our casting, right? When you picture Butler, you picture Dave Batista. Absolutely. When you picture John Spiro, you picture Elon Musk. And it's the description is like, we're, he, get, he walks in in a second, but it's like beat for beat. It's just Elon Musk. It, it is literally just Elon Musk. Like, it, I, I would not be surprised if in his backstory, he has like blood diamond mines somewhere. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> he he has to. Um, so Artemis is being his normal catty self. He's being rude to a waitress, uh, but the waitress was also kind of condescending to him as well. Why? <laughs> why? Okay, why did she? Artemis is clearly a teenager. He's a teenager in a suit. Yeah, don't offer him something off the kids menu. The kids like, menu. <laughs> I get that this is aimed for people who are slightly younger than Artemis, so there's that good connection of like, yeah, he like you get offered things off the kids menu, and you probably don't want them, so we'll make that joke here. But like, it just purely in canon of the world, like, but but also like. Artemis is very like light and small for his age. Like he's he's very scrawny. He's little. He's he's little. So it makes so much sense that a 13-year-old is like like this like scrawny Artemis is mistaken for like a nine-year-old who wants like a grilled cheese off the kids menu. <laughs> it makes everything so much better. He might be more relaxed if we gave him a coloring page. I, I really do think so. Uh, but he would he would not color inside the lines because that would be too rule heavy. He would color outside the lines to be on guard. Well, we'll get into his art at the very end of the book. <laughs> we will. Totally relevant, actually. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. And so what, after he uh, berates this waitress, this poor waitress, enter John Spiro. Skinny white linen suit covered in gold jewelry, alongside uh, his uh, his basically his butler, his his his, his bodyguard. His, yeah, his bodyguard, his like metal guy, right? Arno Blunt, blonde hair, cut off t shirt, silver pirate earrings. Okay, like Arno Blunt's a look though. Arno Blunt is definitely a look, especially after he gets his teeth knocked out. Yeah, that I like that <laughs> version of him less. But this version is very fun. No, no, I like that version more because, like, his teeth. Anyway, we will get to the plexiglass teeth when we get to the plexiglass teeth. Um. Anyway, so presents a supercomputer cube, and Artemis, like, while he's like, this is a technological uh, wonder, and he just lists everything that a smartphone today can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I mean, like, to be fair, I, most smartphones can't hack into every satellite nearby. Okay, I'll that is that. very true. <laughs> that is, like, the one up to this uh, to this cube, this C cube. But it is, like, uh, it can text. It can watch movies. <laughs> it's got a screen. You can call people on it anywhere in the world. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks, uh A super thanks, hacking Artemis. cell phone in the shape of a cube. In the shape of a small cube. And then while he's, like, trying to, like, pitch John Spiro this C-cube, he takes a dig at Napster, which I'm not sure that youth of today know what Napster even is. (laughs) They probably think it's this, like, sleep app or something. At the beginning of every Artemis Fowl book, there is one reference to technology from that time period, and then it's never, it never happens again. Last book, it was Game Boys. This book, it's Napster. It's, it's wild. And I have to wonder if, like, the current versions of the Artemis Fowl books, do they also have these references, or do they, or do they, or did, did they change them? <laughs> I imagine they still have them. Most of them, most books don't get updated. It's very rare. They might get reprinted but not updated but that gives me something good to look at next time I am in a bookstore with fresh copies yeah that would be like something that I would like to to know because there are a lot of like really dated uh references at this point not a lot there's a handful like if you don't know what Napster is you can skim over that as like oh it must be a company sort of joke they're, oh, none of them the, are ever plot relevant, which is why I don't think they've been updated. Napsters are like teamsters, but instead of picketing, they take naps. <laughs> That's <laughs> new dream job. Newest dream job. Okay, so, okay, so anyway, he's like, this is this C cube is the best thing ever. And John Spiro is like really gunning for it. He's like, yeah, how much is it going to be? And Artemis is like, <laughs> uh, it's not for sale. And John's like, what? And so Artemis basically tells him that uh, that he's that he will hold off on uh, releasing this technology to the masses for a year, so John Spiro, can, Spiro, whatever, can invest in foul industries, which isn't a thing until this moment. <laughs> and like Artemis thinks he has everything, um, just under his belt he thinks it's gonna go so smoothly and so uh and so he and butler unbeknownst to them had walked straight into a trap since the very beginning john uh spyro uh had it out for them since like the first second they walked in and everyone in the restaurant turns out to be an agent for elon musk i mean john spyro uh why don't we just call him elon musk (laughs) we can't just call him elon musk yeah let's just call him elon musk and it's a setup. Even even the waitress, even the waitress was like, "Ha ha! You thought, child." Butler ends up setting off uh, an LEP sound grenade, and everybody goes flying. Their teeth shatter, which is how we get Arno Blunt and his plexiglass teeth later. And with uh, Artemis safe, he goes to handle things inside the restaurant and, like, you know, fight Arno. Um, speaking of Arno. Um, He's there and he's pulling a gun. (laughs) So, okay. I want to take a step back for a second because we left out one very important thing. Oh, we did? Which is when Artemis pulls out the cube and shows it off to Elon Musk, he runs tests for Elon Musk. And one of those tests is like, oh, tell me what satellites are watching me right now. And one of the satellites that he pings is the LEP satellite that's monitoring Northern Europe. So this is important for two reasons. One, the LEP knows they've been pinged. And LEP, if you don't remember, is the Lower Elements Police. 
And two, Artemis immediately shuts the cube off. Artemis feels bad that the LEP has been pinged. He does not want his fairy friends to get in trouble or be put in danger. Local man is developing <laughs> a conscience? Has a conscience. Who knew? So Butler goes inside. He is looking at everything. And Artemis is like, great. Everything's under control. Turns around. Blunt's got a gun on him. And yeah. then we hard cut down in Haven. Lower elements police. Like, like all we all we know is that a shot was fired. That is literally all we know. <laughs> yep, Blunt has pulled the trigger. And now we're back with Captain Holly Short. Our favorite girl. Our favorite girl. In his right hand, Blunt held a silenced pistol. You first, he said. Then the ape. Arno Blunt cocked the gun, took aim briefly, and fired. So Holly is stuck with uh, Grub, who uh, is a fellow police officer, is Trouble's uh, little little brother who constantly complains. And they are doing goblin cleanup on the last book as the sirens go off and Haven gets sealed off into safety mode. The, the city is protecting itself. And Holly knows there's only three reasons for this. Flood. Quarantine. Or the Mudmed had found them. rut -row. So this turns off all but the most important uh, energy functions of the city. Including the van that they are in. Which is full of goblins who hate them and want to escape. So the goblins try to burn their way out of the van. And then Holly ends up, through a series of shenanigans, coating them in fire extinguisher. I would describe... If I had to describe Holly Short in two words, it would be chaotic lawful. It's a D&D &D alignment that shouldn't exist. But it definitely does. And it, it it exists solely for Holly Short. It's true. It's, I love her. So chaos ensues. She cooks these goblins and fire extinguisher, leaves Grub to handle them and heads back to police plaza. Um, there's a throwaway joke about all of the young fairies across Haven uh, sobbing over the loss of their cell phones as Holly arrives and skids into the police plaza just in time to run into Foley, who is now hosting a meeting. TLDR. Haven got pinged by the C-Cube. Yes. They don't know it's the C-Cube. They just know they got pinged by somebody on the surface. And that person downloaded all of their files from Northern Europe because Artemis did not give very specific instructions to his little AI cube. And the solution to this is Root goes, Holly, you're going topside. Go figure <laughs> out what's going on. Problem solved. I, I, I have this headcanon where like after the events of Arctic Incident, Root will never set foot above ground ever again. He's just like, I'm in this office. I'm never leaving. <laughs> You know, after you've been um, thrown into piles of snow that many times, <laughs> I understand. I don't like to be cold either. Uh, I also understand. But speaking of which, Root is barely seen in this book. He's just like, a, he's like a fly on the wall. We don't like see a lot entire. of Root. We do see Foley talking about Root, but we will we get do. into that later. Uh, we also see Mulch talking a lot about Root as well. Anyway, uh... 
Chapter three on ice. So Butler goes to investigate the restaurant, uh, leaving the staff tied up and the assassins unconscious with their teeth blown out uh, as lobsters just run free because they're not being boiled alive now. Did we have to include that description uh, in our podcast? No. Absolutely. Do I think it's funny every time about all of these knocked out assassins and tied up wait staff and the only things that are free are the lobsters the yes lobsters. i love it it's so good like it is the perfect mental image and while he's surveying the restaurant he remembers uh, two rules about his training one don't form an emotional attachment to your principal he failed that he failed that long 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 time ago mm-hmm. and the second one is your principal can't be shot if you're in front of him which he's also currently failing at So uh, he sprints back just in time to actually take the bullet for Artemis. And of course, Butler's wearing a Kevlar suit. You know, he's he's not a dummy. Doesn't matter. It's close range. It goes straight through his Kevlar. And it's a fatal wound. But it's it's not fast fatal enough uh, for his instincts to like not kick in. And so he pulls his gun and he shoots Blunt like six times. Boom, 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 boom. Including right in the face. Including right in the face. It's great. Uh, we, we we stand Butler for that forever. And Artemis like brushes himself off. He gets up. He starts to congratulate Butler for like a great shot only to realize that something is horribly, horribly wrong because Butler is dying and Holly's not here to save him this time. Nobody's uh, here to save him. Nobody is here to, like, nobody is here to save them, except for Artemis. And so as Butler, like, says goodbye to this principal that he should not have grown an emotional attachment to, he tells him his first name, Domovoy, and he dies. And Artemis starts to uncontrollably sob. Because one, it's all his fault. Two, it's all his fault. Three, it's all his fault. Four. Butler has shared this very personal thing that he's not supposed to have shared unless there was no chance of them ever working together again, which means Butler thinks he's dead forever and ever and ever. Goodbye, dumb boy. Sobbed the boy. Goodbye, my friend. The hand dropped. Butler was gone. Five, it's all his fault. Five is all his fault. So, so like Artemis is just like, of, of course he does not give up, right? So he's like, no, I'm going to fix this. I have to fix this because if Artemis is nothing, he has a very guilty conscience and he always tries to fix things, <laughs> which I, which I love about him. So what he does is he ends up dragging Butler into the freezer and he shoves him into a fish freezer to to keep him cold enough to uh, put him into cryostasis. And then he calls a human with a favor owed to Butler to help move his body. And it's just a lot of things happen in this chapter. I mean, it, so <laughs> Artemis has, does the math very quickly and he's like, all right, if I can freeze Butler and put him in cryostasis, I can get a fairy up here. I know how to get a fairy up here. So with the caveat that his like, the quote is like, my surgeon has a problem with dwellings because magical folk can't go into a building unless they're invited. He gets Butler moved to like this Cairo unit that's like outside of a bill. It's wild. The important thing is that Holly gets to the surface through like some Stonehenge commercial shuttle 
And is sent to investigate a phone call that has had a thousand LEP buzzwords just screamed into Artemis, it. Basically. Artemis just calls up, like, I, it's like a crossword puzzle hotline, and it's like, <laughs> the people, the book, fairies, Foley, Holly Short. Like, it's... <laughs> He's just listing them. And it's so funny because Foley's like, this can't be... No, this this is... <laughs> And so she goes to go f- find out who it is, but she already has an inkling before he- before she gets there. And it's Artemis waiting for her. There's a brief diary entry excerpt too as she gets there that we get that Artemis is like, oh, I have a father again, but I think Holly's magic has made him a good person. I don't <laughs> know what to do about this. Oh no, he's he now wants to do charity work. Woe is me. Pops out the floppy disk, puts it back into his own suit. <laughs> <laughs> so Artemis pleads with Holly, asking um, her to do what she did in like the first book, right? Which is save Butler. Uh, and she's like, I can't do it. Um, this has never been done before. Uh, the chances of him coming back the same is very slim. But she decides to, when Artemis is like, basically, you owe me, right? Also, like, they contact Foley, and Foley's like, it could be done. And Chaotic Lawful Holly Short is like, well, if it can be done. I guess I'll try it. So she expends the rest of her magic to try and heal Butler. And he comes back to life. Who knew? But because the Kevlar was in his chest, she had to make a new wound (laughs) to heal that wound. So so she does that and the Kevlar in his chest kind of grows into uh, his skin as she's healing him. And that comes into play later. And he uh, so Butler rapidly grows a beard, hair ages 15 years because his own life force is like also trying to help revive him. Local man is now a DILF. Local man is now 55 years old and man, is he hot? It's fine. <laughs> We're and fine he, here. Look, Google Dave Batista with a beard, and now you know what Butler looks like right now. Just, it's so good. It's so good. Yes, please. So Holly has to return to her mission. Artemis guesses it's the probe, and she's like, you. And he's like, me. So uh, rightfully annoyed, she flies everybody via Moonbelt back to Foul Manor, where Artemis explains. She bounced, she bounced, she bounced. She gets her revenge. She does. Uh, where Artemis explains the situation, says that Spyro uh, will come after him once he realizes that Artemis is alive because Spyro can't exactly use the CQ because Artemis, in his like genius, uh, enacted an eternity code, which can only be activated through Artemis's own voice cadence. So, like, Spyro literally needs Artemis to operate the CQ and to unlock it. So that's great until it's not. So Holly like sighs wistfully and she's like, wow, it'd be really great to have a butler right now, but our butler is resting. Oh, oh, you thought. (laughs) Luckily, there's more than one butler in the family. Smash cut, it's our other girl, Juliet Butler is back. So I think Holly and Opal and Juliet are why I am the way I am. Probably. Like if you just read these books, you'd be like, yeah. This is how Nicole became a person. It's just like a trifecta of you. Yeah, it's great. I love these books. (laughs) 
So Juliet is back. So she's got a huge list of abilities to her name now because she's been in training to become a bodyguard. All you need to know is she's a badass. She can basically do everything that Butler does, but with more personality and a slightly smaller stature. So we cut back to her in the middle of a test to get her like fancy bodyguard diamond tattoo. And the whole chapter is basically this test to get the tattoo, um, which she fails because she's too busy hitting bad guys with pro wrestling moves <laughs> because I love her. No other reason. No notes. Perfect. So as her teacher, who is the same teacher Butler had, is uh, explaining to her why she failed, uh, a call from Artemis comes in and she's like, what's the message? And it's Domovoy needs her. And that's it. <laughs> but Juliet realizes immediately, oh, you're not supposed to know Butler's first name. My big brother is in trouble. And she's like, I gotta go. And her teacher's like, are you sure? And Juliet's like, I gotta go right now. And she just bounces, goes straight, head straight back to Foul Manor. She didn't pass go, didn't collect $200, just straight home. Meanwhile, speaking of <laughs> going home, John Spiro is also at home. So he meets his techies back home in Chicago and learns Chicago. <laughs> Chicago and learns that he needs Artemis to break the eternity code on the cube. And conveniently, Fowl is still alive. Yeah. Hooray. Uh, with Blunt out of commission because, you know, Blunt needs to get new teeth right now. Um, he hires goons from the local mob gang to go get Artemis. And these goons are the gooniest goons to ever goon. They're just so goon. Loafers McGuire is the I, name. <laughs> I just, I want to play a D&D game as Loafers McGuire so bad. I, like, he's this tattooed gunman who is so stupid like all he's good at is shooting people but his name is loafers mcguire and i just i just want to play like a gun slinging like i don't know if that would be a rogue or a ranger or what i just want to play like a low intelligence heavily tattooed loafers Mm -hmm. mcguire i would argue that loafers mcguire is 100 a cleric (laughs) yeah you all can't see the look I'm giving. Sh- For those of you who play D&D, you understand why I am baffled. For those of you who don't, that's a, a hot take. He goes to go get his uh, his, his second, um, who, who they nickname uh, Monkey. Uh, and it is, of course, who else but Mulch Diggums. But he's going under the name Mo. Di digit di digit dig diggins dig oh my god it's diggins digging oh my god it's dig oh my god it's di- i have i have read this entire thing i was i was like this is <laughs> this is why so as you all know listeners this one is coming to you a little late because of our schedule so ash decided to read the book instead of listen to it like she normally does and that's really um <laughs> They owed her here. It's Dickens. I see it now. <laughs> so anyway, Ash's boy is back. My boy is back. Uh, and Molt recognizes Foul Manor as um, at once when like he's like given the the uh, the facts on like this new mission that he's got. And he takes the job to help Artemis just out of the goodness. <clears throat> 
uh, the goodness of his heart. Sorry, I choked on my own um, BS there. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, uh, he is like, I'm going to help the kid. Maybe I'll get a reward out of it, but mostly no. I'm going to help the kid. Like he's actively concerned about the fact that he's maybe caring about another person. I mean, not the only person in this book who is actively concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fretting about getting a conscience as he starts to antagonize Lofers and uh, the entirety of like his and Lofer's relationship is just ant- antagonizing each other. It's, it's, it's just pretty, it's pretty great. Oh uh, yeah. Th- this is my note that Ash was about to read. It, just because I think it's really funny. A lot of this book is based off of the idea that you can antagonize people into making terrible decisions. And like, that's not wrong. Not wrong at all. Like Spyro does that to Artemis. Mulch does that to lo- loafers. Artemis does it to Spyro. Juliet does it to a bunch of people later. A bunch like, of it's, people. It's really funny. Uh, it's just like if you get on someone's nerves like long enough, yes, yes, you 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 can like mi- like Jedi mind trick them into doing what you want them to do. So we cut from loafers and mulch back to Foul Manor again. We get a little bit of. Uh, insight into Artemis's mind and his diary entry. He's like, my dad wants me to be a kid and not do heists. But my schemes! Artemis was was never a kid. Like, um, are, are are you kidding? It's, it's unfortunate for him and his childhood trauma, but great for our book. Butler wakes up. Thank God. Thank he's God. older. He's got the Kevlar in his chest. It kind of hampers his breathing. He knows he's not the same man he was. Mulch gets to Fowl Manor. Mm-hmm. antagonizing loafers the entire time. The entire way. And then, like, breaks into foul manner. No biggie. He knows how to do that. Butler catches Mulch on the video camera. Holly, for the record, uh, has to go do the ritual again because local woman is not allowed to have her magic for more than five minutes. Never. So, especially not with, like, Artemis and Butler concerned. No. So she she's away from foul manner right now. So it's just Mulch, Butler, Artemis. So Artemis makes most a sandwich. He does not do a very good job at this. Artie is not meant to make food. As Mulch explains everything to Artemis and Butler, he's super surprised Butler is alive. He's like, oh, there was a rumor going around that you were dead. I don't know how fast these rumors are spreading for Mulch to hear that. But like... Probably pretty fast. Uh, but also uh, Arno said that he killed butler and so i'm it's pretty true. sure that like fed to the mob and like loafers probably told mulch yeah i mean that's true a mulch was like mulch rightfully was like doesn't sound right to me but okay <laughs> Fake sus, <news>. I'm sus. <laughs> and mulch forgot to turn off his mic so because he's working with loafers they're like connected right like they got yep. an earpiece and mulch is also an idiot so Mulch done did it. Mulch done did it. So Loafers realizes that Mulch has compromised the mission and decides to sneak in himself. So he breaks in, he grabs Artemis. Butler is too slow to stop it and like is actively called an old man by Loafers and is like real mad about it. Oh, I would be too, because you don't call Butler an old man. You call him a Dilf. You call him a Dilf. You you put some respect on that age. You have to daddy Dilf. <laughs> that's maybe we're leaving that in that's maybe too far but we're leaving it in (laughs) so lovers has like his armor on artemis's neck is threatening him 
And who shows up behind him but Juliet Butler, who just proceeds to absolutely KO poor Lovers Maguire uh, because him. she's the best. Because she's the best. And no one calls her brother an old man or touches Artemis. Except for her, really, on both counts. Yeah, except for her. She's, she's allowed the only to bully allowed Artemis to. and she's allowed to bully Butler, but nobody else is. Except no maybe one else. Holly's maybe allowed to bully some people, but nobody else is. Holly can, but she won't, unless it's Artemis. <laughs> then she will bully him all day long. It's true. She likes Butler. She does. Uh, speaking of everyone, the gang's back together in Chapter 7. Uh, and Root and Foley video chat in from Haven. And it's like, old times, man. It's like, oh, man. You you kind of kind of get this foreboding feeling a little bit that we're like with the whole gang back together that this like might be the last time this is ever going to happen especially because originally this series was meant to be a trilogy so this was going to be the last book yes. originally. originally which is also was... why the next five books are buck wild yeah <laughs> uh foley uses this is your note foley uses julie's first name yeah so um Look, I get it. You ship Mulch and Foley, who don't interact at all in any of these scenes. Mul Again, Mulch interacts with Root plenty. But Foley uses Julius's first name, which he is, it's specifically noted he only uses when it's very serious. I, I, I get it. You have to, like, put these in as much as you can because we all know what's going to happen in the next book. So I, I understand. You're just... You know what's going to happen. <laughs> I only know that Opal Cowboy will be back and nothing else will matter. Well, just enjoy it while you can. They catch Root up on the situation. Uh, he smokes a bunch of cigars in a fury before agreeing to give them two days off the radar to avoid all of the red tape. After which he will send the retrieval team in as a backup plan and they'll probably do a fine job, but it'll be a lot messier. <laughs> They're not very good. No. And like Root knows that, which is why he's like, you got two days. Only two days though. But here's the catch. It's on the condition that Artemis has his mind wiped. Now, not like the block wipe that we've seen before, but like an in-depth wipe that won't like affect his IQ or anything. It'll be just like he never knew about the fairies at all, but he keeps all of his other memories. And Artemis agrees because he can no longer put the people's lives at risk. And like, wow, talk about character development, right? <laughs> Mostly. We'll, uh, we'll circle back around to that. But he does at least have the thought of like, oh, yeah, I'm dangerous. I should probably do something about that. I mean, I mean, I, I will say that, like, this is great character development. Like, like either way, like, I, we know what happens later, but, like, this is a, this is, this is a great moment for Artemis. Mm -hmm. You know, being, being vulnerable and lying through his teeth. <laughs> it's fine. Um, Root threatens Mulch, who just turns around and moons him in response, and Root doesn't have a good quip for that no one can have a good quip for that so he just ends the call and it ends with holly mind wiping and relocating loafers <laughs> poor loafers to like somewhere in africa yeah to like a to like a small like missionary like adjacent area in africa and the uh, locals uh, are like you come with us and he's like oh okay uh and he just starts a new life because he doesn't remember at all 
um, his his previous life because he was subjected to that really intense mind wipe. <laughs> yeah, and she she releases loafers into the wild, uh, like <laughs> like a caged animal. Like a caged animal, and uh, Lofords is going to have a long and wonderful life, probably very happy. And on the way back, she tries to break Root's uh, speed record um, for, like, fastest. uh... (laughs) Because they're the same, because they are also a found family. They are. They are. And, uh, And, yeah, so she flies back to Foul Manor. And we get another diary entry. We get another diary entry of Artemis's dad asking Artemis to choose to be a hero because go off, I guess. Why not? Sure. Be a hero. We leave the diary entry and Artemis has been meditating in his mind palace. And he, not that far off from the actual description in the book. And he leaves his mind palace of planning and he gives everybody like CDs to study Mm -hmm. their parts of the plan because he doesn't want everybody to know everybody else's part in case they get like separated and interrogated, right? Like classic strategy. Mm -hmm. So nobody has the full plan. Except Butler. Except Butler. Butler, I don't, I think also doesn't have the full plan, but he doesn't get a CD. Artemis wants to talk to him directly because Butler isn't coming with them for the first time ever. Butler's not coming on a mission. Really, Artemis, said Butler. I've skipped right over my midlife crisis. You don't have to invent a job just to make me feel useful. So Artemis talks to Butler because he's trying to avoid the mesmer effects that he knows will be used on him and to try to preserve some of his memories and history with the Fey folk. And like mesmer is when like the if for a refresher is when the fairies like mind trick you into telling them the truth. You lock so. eyes with a fairy and then suddenly you have to be honest. Which to be fair, if compelled. I locked if I locked eyes with Holly Short, she would not have to use mesmer on me. I would just be honest with her because I the love same. her. Exactly. I would just be like, yeah, yeah, you have my entire heart in the palm of your hand. Anyway, Butler's working on that. Meanwhile, uh <laughs> My note is Spyro is feeling Elon Musk levels of pathetic and uh, Blunt is bruised to hell and does not yet have any teeth that they were all knocked out in that explosion. Um, and a call comes in through the sea cube. Hello. Hi, it's me. Uh, Mulch and Artemis are hamming up the fact that like Mulch has caught him and loafers went crazy, but Mulch is going to bring him in. They get told to go to the Spyro needle. So... <laughs> The Spyro's headquarters are in a a mock Chicago needle. Why? Because he's an egomaniac. Why not? Why not? At this point. Anyway, they're heading for Twitter HQ. So the squad heads for the airport. Butler tries to talk Juliet out of becoming a bodyguard permanently in like a peak Big Brother moment. And Artemis is reassuring everybody that his zany plan will work. In spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, it kind of does. Kind of. There's a really sweet moment of friendship between Holly and Juliet that I really like, where Juliet is explaining her love of wrestling to Holly again, and Holly is trying to describe like, oh, what is what pro wrestling is like in the fairy world, which is, what I I could talk about that for three hours. We won't go into that. But <laughs> Holly makes a joke about like, oh, I'll send the discs to you so you can see it, and Juliet's like, no, you won't. You're going to mind wipe all of us. And like Holly gets so bittersweet about it. And like, we're going to see that repeatedly throughout the book of like, 
yeah, the fairies are going to wipe the, all of their minds, but they don't wanna. Yeah, it's it's like it's like this like constant reminder of like, oh yeah, this is going to happen, and so like it tricks you into thinking maybe maybe it won't, maybe it won't happen, maybe it won't happen. Maybe they, to be fair, again, we get five more books, so <laughs> we know this isn't going to stick. I mean, we don't know if it's going to happen. We're only halfway through the book. It's true. It's true. It might not happen. Anyway, they finish prepping for the meeting by equipping themselves with fairy technology. Artemis goes to pop in, like, the fancy eye contact that the LEP uses that can, like, zoom in and do all sorts of fancy things and realizes it's a, a hazel eye contact because it's meant for Holly. And Artemis has has those big blue peepers. Also, I, I will say that is foreshadowing for yeah, future I books. I did lose my mind a little bit because that is the thing I distinctly remember from future books because, again, 13-year-old Nicole really yeah. shipped... Artemis and Holly. Oh my god. Like just like the last book that that one oh remember just, this when we're talking about the last wait, book like six months from now. My my heart hurt when I when I read that paragraph. It's just so so, so badly. Anyway, Artemis wears the Hazel Fairy contact and hopes for the best. They get to the airport. Artemis is so confident and such a bad actor. That, like, Spyro is immediately like, mm, something's up. You're suspicious. <laughs> he understood what Spyro was saying to him. That wasn't to say that he agreed with it. John Spyro may have stuff that the military didn't have, but Artemis Fowl had stuff the humans had never seen. So they head to Twitter HQ, and Spyro flaunts his security system and shows that it needs an eye scan and a thumbprint and proper weight and voice activation. And, like, inadvertently also gives Artemis an invite for all his fairy friends to come inside the building. Highly yeah, convenient. he does. And also is like, mm, mulch, you're a loose end. Which, you know, to be fair, to be fair, he is. <laughs> 100%. But mulch convinces uh, Spyro's goons to bury him alive. Uh, because Spyro's like you are going to die. You know too much. And so the goons take Mulch and Mulch is like, hey, the best thing to do to me is like the worst thing possible, which is burying me alive. And uh, and and you know what? Uh, sure, I guess they're right if he wasn't a dwarf, which like no one knows he's a dwarf. Uh, so, Again, so <laughs> this is peak, like I'm going to antagonize you into doing the exact thing that I want you to do. Yep. And uh, and so the goons bury him and like Mulch is just grinning up at them as as like they're 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 burying him and like the goons even comment as they're driving away he's like man it looks like it, it looked like he was laughing and then the other goon was like what what what, what was it laughing and crying is so similar he was yeah. probably terrified it was like no oh boy oh buddy he just oh buddy uh so anyway mulch escapes obviously and is picked up by holly who has been waiting around for for mulch's grand plan meanwhile Artemis taunts Blunt with the ghost of Butler uh, because Blunt point, has his new teeth at this point. I yes. don't make a note of it, but I know you want to talk about the teeth. Oh yeah, no, he has his new plexiglass teeth at this point. So plexiglass teeth. They're see-through plexiglass teeth. More than see-through <laughs> plexiglass teeth. They are plexiglass see-through teeth. All of them are sharpened like shark teeth. And he has yeah. filled them with a mysterious blue liquid that, like, tilts around while he... Again, he goes from being, like, another, like, pro wrestler archetype of, like, 
blonde hair, big, tattooed, to being such a villain parody so fast once he puts those teeth in. It's it's so funny, and I love it so, so much, because obviously he thinks he's, like, hot stuff now. And it's, and it's great. And anyway, so Blunt thinks that Butler is dead, obviously, because Blunt killed him, and Artemis is like, the, the ghost is good, a Butler's gonna come and get you, and, like, Blunt's like, eh. And uh, frets about the plan, given how much of it is out of his control, Artemis is fretting about the plan, which is kind of unlike him. He came. Meanwhile... <laughs> Juliet hams it up as a decoy for Spyro's goons uh, as a hippie American tourist. And it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, I think at this point, Juliet also has the jade ring in her braid. Yes. <laughs> so I don't make I don't make a big note of this, even though it is it will become relevant in later books because of the wrestling moniker she will choose. She's my girl, um, but she has a jade, a piece of jade, a jade ring that she's tied to the base of her braid. And that is what she has been using as a weapon because yeah. she thinks it's fun. And she's right. She was Bianca Belair before Bianca Belair was cool. Yeah. And she absolutely annihilates uh, the goons, by the way, with that with that jade ring. <sighs> Holly flies up and takes a scan of the building and uses that time to go to Foley into helping, but surprise, Foley emotionally KOs her by asking if she'll miss Artemis. Obviously, she says no, and obviously it's a lie, and obviously she downturns her eyes and turns, you know, her visor down and, you know, like, looks away moodily because, like, of course she's going to miss Artemis. Are you kidding me? Like, she, she's like... They were almost friends. They could have been friends, but like They're she could never have been friends. friends. But then, she, but then she says, she says she could never have been friends with Artemis. But are you kidding me? They are. Uh, anyway, Holly we'll get gets into pissed. the fact that they're already friends who think exactly the same. Exactly. Uh, Holly gets pissed at Juliet for not doing her job, and Juliet says that she heard Holly used to be more of a wild card. And what happened? Uh, even as Juliet frets about Artemis not having a butler at his side, and basically uh, Juliet is just like chaos incarnate, and Holly is very. Um, like nervous about that because Juliet will go off and do what's fun for her and not and, she, and maybe not what is like most needed at the moment. So so if Holly is chaotic lawful of I'm going to follow all of the rules and you're gonna regret that, Juliet is lawful chaotic. I'm gonna follow rules. They're not gonna make sense to anybody but me. I'll get it done though. Yeah, it's like she will absolutely get it done, but it'll be on her terms with uh, <laughs> uh and it's and it's great. They are like polar opposites to each other, Holly and Juliet, but they make great foils for each other. I love them. My ladies, my girls. They're so good. Mulch and Juliet then climb up the needle and break in, rerouting cameras and swapping O2 canisters. Juliet keeps messing up, but not enough to lose the whole mission. Cause like Juliet's like nervous, right? And this is her first actual like big mission thing. And she also cares a lot, which is which keeps on being brought up over and over and over again that she's too emotional, that she cares too much, that she doesn't think critically and like maybe she's a bad bodyguard but a great pro wrestler exactly uh and anyway holly breaks artemis out of his cell and artemis like knew she was coming so he put like pillows uh on the floor to like soften the, the ceiling from crumbling down and she's like oh you expected me and he's like yeah <laughs> are you kidding it's so good because like foley is on the the call with our with uh holly and is like, aren't you going to do something about that? And she's like, no, I'm I'm expected. 
like uh, she knows Artemis is going to have her. Artemis has her. They they're both concerned and delighted by how well they work together as a team. At this point, they like know each other's moves. So like Artemis knew that the only advantage point is like through the ceiling. That's the way Holly was going to come. He knew that. I mean, of course he did. Holly puts Artemis on the phone with Foley, who's uh, help. says he's helping them exclusively to piss off, quote unquote, Julius, because they're married. Yeah, yeah. Holly and Artemis set off to go get scans of uh, Elon Musk's eyes and fingerprints. And Holly senses that Artemis is lying to her about some part of the plan, but Artemis denies it. Holly wagged a threatening finger. Artemis... If you mess with me now, in the middle of an operation, I won't forget it. Don't worry, said Artemis wryly. I will. Turns out... Done, done, done. Local man has never been honest for more than an hour of her day in his life. So um, they get a scan of Spyro's eye, but Artemis points out that they had a plan to use memory latex to get an imprint of his thumb, but it won't work because it will be a complete inverted imprint, right? Mm-hmm. They need mm-hmm. to cut off Spyro's thumb <laughs> and bring it with them. Holly's rightfully pissed and <laughs> almost refuses to do it because she's not just a well of healing magic. But like, but like John Spyro is in such a deep sleep right now, thanks to like a drug they basically administered uh, to like the entire floor that like, he's not going to feel it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And Foley's like, there's not another way. And she's like, God damn all you people. So she cuts off his thumb as, as Artemis has a a peek behind Spyro's ears. And that's going to be important in a minute. So. The Holly and Artemis head past all of the goons that Holly has mesmered. They fool the sensors. They get the eye up. They get the thumb up. Um, Artemis hugs Holly so they can get the weight correct. Um, And then Holly flies off to reattach the thumb as Artemis grabs the cube. And Holly realizes that the Spyro in the bed that they've, they've been working on, he's a double. There were scars behind his ears because it was somebody who had had facial work done. Dun, dun, dun. Not just his double, though, but John Spyro's own cousin. <laughs> Which yeah, John I Spyro think. was like, screw that guy. Yeah, so funny. Screw that guy. There, so there's a moment coming up where after Artemis and, and Spyro interact, Spyro kind of declares he's going to bleed the world dry with Artemis's technology because he doesn't care about the future. He doesn't have any family or heirs. But like you find out like he has a parent still alive. He has this cousin. He just he doesn't care about anybody. He just anybody. doesn't care. He's Elon Musk. He's Elon I, Musk. I, 100%. I rest he, my like, case, your honor. So so Elon uh, and Blunt uh, confront Artemis in the vault with the cube. And Artemis was a little bit expecting this uh, because he peeped behind the double's ears and he knew that something was up. Um, And Artemis, uh, quote unquote, unlocks the cube. He doesn't actually do it. Um, This part of the plan that allows Foley to hack in and pretend to be the AI whose personality chip is faulty. And it is. (laughs) They're not wrong. (laughs) Foley 
Foley is not meant to pretend to be an AI. He spends the whole time cracking <laughs> jokes and not just cracking jokes, like making references to fairy culture that Spyro absolutely can't understand. Like at all. Like Foley is just being Foley at this point. And it's it's lovely. And this is where Spyro declares that he's gonna bleed the world dry, even though he has like family members and stuff. And so Foley and Artemis go to Spyro into going to Phonetics. Phonetics? Phonetics? Phonet. Frick. (laughs) (laughs) Phonetics, uh, which is uh, Elon Musk's competitors to settle his personal feud with them. They're going to Meta. Going to Meta uh, to go go, uh, fist fight Zuckerberg. Plan B goes into effect as they get in. What is plan B? What? So so plan B. Plan A was like they can just get the cube out like normal. No biggie. So plan B is they're going to break into phonetics. And Foley does this whole big spiel as the AI cube about how they've like had to knock out so many things. No, phonetics has very low security. They can just like walk in. But Spyro clocks Artemis's mismatched eyes um, and then everything just goes downhill from there. Yeah. For for Spyro, by mm-hmm. the way, not for Artemis. <laughs> no, Artemis is tech- Artemis is uninjured, which is more than we can say about his antics in book two at this point. Yes, like Artemis, like for like the first time, seems very, very, very competent <laughs> in he this ha- book. He hasn't been thrown into any snowdrifts. I mean, he's been inside the whole time. He has, so. which is which is his rightful place, basically. Yeah. It's like his his natural habitat. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Juliet breaks in with the Chicago SWAT team um, as Artemis villain monologues to Spyro, and he gets under Spyro's skin so badly that Spyro just loses it. Like Elon Musk just goes full, uh, full like Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. And then Artemis finishes his villainous monologue with, uh, with. <laughs> With a Greek god name speech, which I realized we didn't talk about at the very beginning. So at the beginning of the book, John Spyro uh, takes a dig at Artemis, uh, saying that Ar- that the name Artemis is usually used for girls. Mm-hmm. And here he says, uh, yes, but it can also be used for like very talented uh, boys who can also hunt, basically. And he's like, uh, Artemis is a hunter and I have ha- and I have hunted you. And that's Holly's cue. <laughs> Uh, and so that's when like Holly like comes down and like makes Artemis disappear with like the camo foil and it's really great. And Spyro is like, oh my God, where did, where did he go? Where did he go? shooting up the room. He's losing it so bad. Um, and while he's losing it, Artemis hacks into Spyro's accounts and transfers all of his assets. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to, you know, use all these assets. And then he stops and he's like, no, my, my father dad. told me to be a hero. So he transfers almost everything to Amnesty International in a non-refundable <laughs> donation. He, like, he keeps a 10%, keeps 20%, yeah, 10%. No, 10% finder's fee. He's like, <laughs> I'm keeping 10%. They have the other 90% of this billion dollars or whatever. Which like fair though, very mm-hmm. fair. And he also uh, fixes Mulch's arrest record on the LEP um, like database so that Mulch uh, can't go to jail because that's going to be very, very important for Artemis's last plan. Uh, and then Juliet also realizes after she gets Artemis away safety, safely that uh, maybe she shouldn't be a bodyguard because this is just too much fun. So 
everybody gets away safely. And so they get back to Foul Manor. And now, now we can, dear listeners, summarize this chapter for you in like two sentences. And we're going to do that. But then we're going to talk a lot about this chapter. Ash, would you you like to summarize this chapter for us? Absolutely. In chapter 11, it's called The Invisible Man. After Holly gets them back to Foul Manor, you know, basically unharmed, she whirls back off as Blunt uh, has been stopped in customs by an old friend of Butler's. And the old friend of Butler's like calls up Butler and is like, hey. And Butler's like, hold him. I'll be right there. And he does. He he gets there very quickly. And the whole chapter is basically just Butler pretending to be a ghost, like haunting the crap out of out of Arno it's Blunt. So <laughs> it's I've never seen a man commit so hard to drama for like uh, for for good reason, he's getting blood to confess every crime he's ever committed, right? Yes, but also like he pretends to be a ghost to do it. Yeah, it's book one. This man, who we, we're told at the beginning of book one is like stoic and works hard, who is trying throughout this entire book to be like Juliet. You can't be a bodyguard like me. I'm so serious. I take my <laughs> job so seriously. I've never done anything silly a day in my life. Spends the whole chapter. Dave Batista's out the here just chapter. pretending to be a ghost. I love him. I just love this doing, scene. Doing the ghost thing like scares the ever-loving crap out of poor Arno Blunt and his plexiglass shark Well, teeth. there's a moment where the teeth pop out of his mouth because yeah, he's they so pop scared. Out. Yeah. <laughs> They're dentures. They weren't even fixed in. They just pops. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> chapter 11 does. It, it's not really relevant to plot at all, except for like, oh, Blunt's taken care of. Boom, boom, done. But the uh, it's so soap opera-y delicious that it, it's worth reading every sentence. You you get like, you get Domovoy, right? For yes. the first time. You get what he, what, who he was and who he could have been before he really settled into being bodyguard and surrogate dad to the world's surliest preteen. Exactly. And like, I love that. And I love that we get to see so much of that in later books. Once that is all handled. Yes. Holly brings Butler back to Foul Manor. And it's time. They're going to wipe everybody's minds. The LEP Mm -hmm. has come up to the surface with permission from Artemis to enter his house what and artemis is scrambling some last minute things together to help them try to circumnavigate some elements of the mind wipe yep juliet is like maybe you should just let the fairies go which is fair but artemis says his time with them is a part of who he is which is also fair very true (laughs) so um fully just a little cosmetic tlc for butler to hide his aging that involves (laughs) <laughs> do you want to try to describe this ash it's basically like raking all of the skin off of his face and like doing a good facial and then they take some uh fat from the butt of a dwarf namely mulch and inject it into his face it's fairy botox <laughs> it's fairy botox it uh, but they can't do anything about the kevlar in his chest though no luckily it hides his aging though so most people won't realize he's magically aged 15 years and he'll probably according to everybody live a very long time because of that infusion of magic Mm -hmm. holly then hauls mulch underground but not before artemis gives him the fairy quote-unquote coin that holly gave him uh in book two 
um, that he has been wearing around his neck. Uh, it's not really a fairy coin anymore. Ha- Ar- Ar- Artemis has uh, plated a piece of, of, of memory, like computer core with gold filigree um, to hide the fact that it's technology. But it, like it, can, like you can't look at it too closely because if you do, you can totally tell it's like a disc. So this is what Artemis is trying to avoid talking about in his mesmer. This is why he's going through such elaborate lengths. There are teary and snarky goodbyes all around, um, and Artemis makes a case that Holly agrees with that this could undo all of his goodness, like all of the consciousness that he has acquired could disappear if he doesn't remember the fairy folk. Because the fairy folk are his friends. They are the reason he has started to care about the world about around other him. people. Yeah. Like, they're part of, like, his character arc. So what's going to happen when when that's taken away? Rude is like, they'll be fine. Argon, Dr. Argon says that it's very unlikely. And Holly's like, when did we start listening to Argon and his goons? Which is a, everybody's like, you raise a fair point. We've never listened to that... <laughs> Not only have we never listened to them, but they've never been right before. I mean, also Argon is the uh, psychologist from the first book who is completely wrong about Artemis lying the entire first book. So. Uh-huh. He's not very good at his job, but not no. nobody in the LEP besides Foley and Holly are. And Root. Root's very good at his job. Root! Root! <laughs> Root's present. <laughs> well, in this book, he's present. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, that's all we can say. He's like Nick Fury at this point. He's yes. just waiting in the wings. Um, oh God, Root played by Samuel L. Jackson. <gasps> yes. Like yes. Judy Dance was great, but completely undid a big chunk of all Holly's character yeah. arc because of it. But oh God, I'd like to see that version. Oh, okay. That would be so much fun. The the farther we get into this podcast, the more people we're casting, and I'm very into it. I love this. <laughs> The mind wipe is going to happen, though. The LEP cannot risk Artemis doing anything else with fairy technology. Yep. And at, and at this point in, like, reading the book, you know that it's going to happen. Yeah. You're like, oh. There's, like, so five pages Artemis... left. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, Artemis has, like, some something, like, like it, like, tucked in his sleeve, right? He's going to somehow, like, circumvent it. But no. No, it's <laughs> happening. So Holly ends up hiding tears as she says goodbye. Juliet says that she'll see Holly in her dreams. Mm-hmm. Butler reminds her that he's always there to help the fairy folk. And Artemis doesn't say anything, but she notices for the first time that he looks like peaceful, which is a very sweet thing to notice and definitely didn't make my little shipper heart happy. I know. It's just, it's so sad. And then their minds get wiped. Yep, their minds definitely get wiped 100%. And it ends with Molt revealing a handwritten note, palmed to him by Artemis, to bring the golden disc back to him one day. And then they'll be unstoppable. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, And we do get a little epilogue of an an Artemis foul diary entry of a new diary that he's shocked he hasn't thought to keep a diary before. Oh Um, my gosh, a little like floppy disk that he tucks in his pocket? Who knew? And Artemis is still scheming. Um, he is targeting, like, big corporations who are bad, but not for good reasons, he says. <laughs> and um, mo- most importantly, A, why when he wipe- washed out his face this morning, uh, did he have uh, metallic contacts, mirrored contacts in his eyes? Why did Juliet and Butler also have mirrored contacts in their eyes? Th- these are important questions that Artemis doesn't have the answer to. Um, and also, B, Juliet's off to go become a pro wrestler. We get that thrown in there. 
We do, which is the best part. Yeah, which is um, clearly, uh, yeah, sure. They foreshadowed the fact that Artemis is suspicious of the world around him still. Uh, but mostly, Juliet's becoming a pro wrestler, and that's all I personally care about. And yeah, that's that really all that matters. <laughs> Artemis Fowl, the Eternity Infinity Cube Code C Cube book. Yay! Woo! And John Spiro gets arrested. Yes. What did you think about it, reading it again in the year of our Lord 2023? Honestly, I I really liked a lot of the character work in this one, mm-hmm. but I thought it was the weakest out of the out of the three. Agreed. And I think that's just the nature of they did a story where it's like, I have to go to this place, and now I have to go to this place, and I have to go to this place, which is also like very a very common spy movie trope. But because of that, there's just a lot, there's just a lot more moving pieces, so you don't get as much grounding in any particular moment. Yeah, and there's like a lot of like a cross-continental hopping that takes a long time mm-hmm. and like is it's done off page basically. Yeah. It's still um, very so fast paced. Moves at a it, great it, it is. But like you, you you never like I never really knew like what day it was or how long something took place or how yeah. long something had been since something happened. Um and it was really hard to keep track of that. So but the character work was really good, especially with Butler. We've been picking favorite characters from each book. Who is your favorite character from this one? Ooh, favorite character. Um, <laughs> Blunt. Blunt was my favorite. <laughs> Let's get you a pair of plexiglass teeth. Listen, he was just so funny and so terrible. And I'm like, you are like, like, like he reminded me of like a kingpin goon right yes from, from marvel like mm-hmm. i was like you are so over the top and i love it so much if you like kingpin might i recommend an <laughs> upcoming book from shh, ashley poston <laughs> called a bishop takes king it's a hawkeye novel coming a hawkeye novel <laughs> she's so fancy guys Aww, um I? I loved everybody always i always do i mean i hate elon musk (laughs) you know it's check yes juliet are you Uh, with me and i'm gonna stop that right right now pouring down from the sidewalk no just it was so great to have her back as a fully fledged character both because she was just so tremendously funny Mm -hmm. so plot relevant like they couldn't have done anything without her helping But also, like, I loved her character arc of her, like, quietly realizing that the thing she'd been studying to do her entire life, like, yeah, she didn't love it. And maybe you shouldn't do the things you don't fully love. Yeah. Like, which is, like, a really powerful message, too, that I wish I had gotten earlier on. (laughs) And, like, that, that's a thing she realizes because of working with the fairies, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because of her conversations with Holly. And it's, like, it is important enough that even though they have erased the fairies' memory, it stays in her like in her heart and in her soul enough mm-hmm. that like she bounces at the end of the book after she has forgotten holly and after she has forgotten the fairies to go chase what she loves like that part to, still stays. to go join nxt <laughs> basically <laughs> I, I think technically in the you know how i don't remember anything oh my god the future, you remember she this? is technically wrestling as a luchador called the jade princess uh-huh. um, i can tell you nothing about future books but i can tell you that Oh my gosh, you are exhausting in the best way. <laughs> I I remember Opal Cowboy and her clone, and I remember Juliet becoming the Jade Princess, and these are the things I remember about future books. 
Okay, there's like something that I have to admit here. Um, After I finished the Eternity Code, I needed to read a certain scene in the next book. Uh, Like I just had to go straight to it and like like tiny child me had dog-eared it. So I knew exactly where to go to. And it like, I'm, I'm sorry. It just, I, I can't say anything, right? Because it's a spoiler for the next book. But. Also, because I haven't read it yet. So don't, I mean, exactly. I've obviously read it a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, and my, I know my girl's back. It's the Opal Deception, baby. It's time. Um, it's time. But man, of. it's just, it's such a, like a balm for, for my soul. It's, it's so good. I cannot wait to talk about the next book because I think it's one of my favorites of the entire series. And you'll all get to hear me yell about Opal Cowboy Opal somewhere. My, exactly. my girl, my love, my life. It's going to be so good. She's, She's never done anything wrong a day in her life. Nope. Never done anything wrong. Never. Not once. Mm-mm. But we're going to wrap this up so that we can both go dive into Opal Deception. So thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast where we read their favorite books and lovingly roast them. Subscribe. Give it five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Rating things on Spotify is a thing you can do now. Have fun with it. You can email us your feels at novelstalgiapod at gmail.com. Please email us like if you see cool fan art. I am trolling. Hello, people from Tumblr. I go through the Artemis Foul tag once a week. I love you. You're mwah. I love how she active sends you me all so are. Much. So active. It's I so lovely. Do. Also, you AO3 people, just keep writing that good, good Artemis Holly fic. It's like keeping me sustained. (laughs) (laughs) We will be back next month reading Artemis Fowl, The Opal Deception. Join us if you want by rereading yourself and posting about your own antics with the hashtag Novelstalgia on whatever social media site you use. Ash, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.